Hey guys, it's Danielle here, and you're listening to the Unbranded Lifestyle Podcast, the podcast for all things lifestyle, wellness, and business. So grab yourself a coffee, get comfortable, and join the conversation. Today I'm here with Rick Shetty, who is the founder of daddyblogger.com and he is also a digital nomad and he also teaches other people how to become digital nomads and we're very privileged to have him here share with us some of his experience as well as some of the people he's come across as a digital nomad and I'm just very excited about this because I don't know many people who are like you, Rick, and I'm just so happy to to have you on this podcast episode. So welcome, Rick. Uh, hey, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I've been listening to the, your first few episodes, and now it's on and a privilege to be one of your guests. Thank you. No, thank you. I was just really inspired by your journey because I know you're, you're mainly in Vancouver, and now you're pretty much all over the world. Mm. And... Uh, I was just really inspired because I followed you for a little bit and I know you found a lot of different various YVR groups and mm -hmm. YVR uh, like organizations. So are you still involved with that or are you more like step, taking a step back now? Yeah, so a quick background about me. Uh, I'm from Vancouver, BC, Canada. And back in, Can uh, in Canada and Vancouver, I used to run a whole bunch of different events. And the events were all branded under the same name called YVR. And it had nothing to do with the airport. Uh, it actually <laughs> had something to do with the airport in, in the sense that I actually proposed to my wife at YVR Airport using a flash mob. And if you wanted to... That, I watched uh, that, yes, yes. If you wanted to watch yeah. it, you can definitely watch it at uh, daddyblogger.com under the about section, you can watch it. Uh, but uh, I, I, I quite like uh, the whole concept of YVR because uh, it's kind of like a code name for Vancouver. Uh, sometimes they use 604, which is like the area code, uh, but I use YVR and I use it kind of as an alliteration too. So for me, it's uh, your Vancouver restored, uh, restored from a place oh. of loneliness and uh, isolation to a place of community. Uh, so that's my big passion, building communities. And in Vancouver, I ran a whole bunch of communities. You mentioned a few of them. Uh, the first one I started was called YVR Dads, and that was a community of local Vancouver dads. Uh, we'd meet up once a month to support each other, uh, learn and grow as uh, fellow fathers. Then I started something called YVR Bloggers, uh, which is a community of uh, Vancouver bloggers, uh, teaching people how to blog, uh, how to market a blog, how to monetize a blog, and just to get together so they can connect with fellow bloggers. Uh, I also ran something called YVR Foodies, uh, which is a community mm. of food lovers. We would meet at different That one really exploded. Yeah, yes. yeah. We would meet at different restaurants, and we would really get to know the history of the restaurant. We would bring in the chef. Uh, the restaurant owner or the manager, and they would share with that group about um, the foundation of the restaurant, who owns it, why did they start it, uh, some of the, the specialties, the best sellers. Uh, we had uh, actually get the chef to come out and talk to us. So we really understood the food we were eating. So that was one of my favorite groups. All behind uh, to travel the world. Uh, in terms of what happened to the groups, I actually assigned directors. Um, so there's a director running... Um, each of the individual groups, so YVR Bloggers is Rebecca Coleman, uh, YVR Foodies is Elaine Cheng, uh, YVR Authors is Melody Owen, YVR Dads is Hartley Sharak. Uh, so these are all friends of mine who are um, coming to the events, and then they decided to take them over. And some of them are still going, and some of them, are, um, they're not going in the sense they're not running physical events anymore, uh, but they still have the online mm -hmm. communities. They have uh, both a Facebook fan page and a group. Yeah, that was a little bit of my backstory of what I used to run back in Vancouver, BC, Canada, before we left to 
uh, become digital nomads and explore this beautiful world that we both live in. No, that's really awesome. I mean, you had so much experience and life in Vancouver and now you're just in Trinidad and then who knows where your next destination is going to be. So I know that this traveling thing of being a digital nomad is a very big dream of a lot of millennials. Would you would you sort of agree with that? Or do you see more of um, any generation is basically very involved with that right now? Yes, a new term in the last five years. So if you break down the word itself, digital mm-hmm. nomad, uh, I think we all know what the term uh, nom- uh, nomad or nomadic means. Uh, it's basically moving from place to place. And if you look at way, way, way back in the day, uh, ever since the birth of civilization, uh, humans uh, were nomadic. Uh, they would uh, you know, uh, start off in a place, they would set up, uh, and then they would immigrate to different places and uh, move their stuff with them, either on camels, horses, uh, donkeys, etc. So uh, human, uh, humans have always been nomadic. Uh, so now the term digital nomad has uh, changed everything. Obviously, the Internet uh, has changed the world, revolutionized the world as we know it. And uh, a digital nomad is someone who basically can work from anywhere around the world as long as they have connection to the Wi-Fi, uh, which is pretty much uh, anywhere in the world with the exception of some jungles in the Amazon mm. or in Africa, right? So uh, more or less in every town and city in the world, you can have access to Internet, which is amazing. Uh, you know, the Internet is such a phenomenal way to connect people and also to uh, generate income because nowadays you know, there's so many ways that uh, people can make money online, everything from doing e-commerce stores to uh, private coaching to doing things like blogging, mm-hmm. um, uh, podcasting, video blogging, uh, social media management, affiliate marketing. There's literally, uh, and there's a lot more. Right? Those That was just kind of a, a quick glimpse into uh, options that digital nomads have. Um, so yeah, we, we left it all behind to become digital nomads. And that, hopefully that clears up a little bit of what it means uh, to be a digital nomad. That really does clear it up because a lot of the times we don't really know what people really do when they travel. I mean, how do they make money? Do they still make money or do they sell all their belongings and then they just move to another part of the world and then start fresh or like, how does it even work? Wasn't it kind of almost scary to take this step or, you know, maybe you can talk more about some of the fears because I know a lot of people have this desire to do it, but it's like... Isn't it kind of scary to leave everything behind? To leave uh, safety and security is a very difficult, very challenging, and a very fearful thing. And, uh, you know, I uh, definitely want to admit uh, all those fears I had. Um, there's, there, I guess you're kind of double-minded at times. Uh, some people want to leave, uh, but all the fears hold, hold them back. And you have to kind of make the decision on whether your fears will hold you back or whether uh, your desire to travel the world and, uh, you know, explore will uh, propel you forward. And unfortunately, a lot of people succumb to the fears. I mean, it's the typical saying, fight or flee, or, um, you know, like, um, either listen to the fears. Um, I mean, it's kind of like the inner critic uh, that tells you, no, you can't do it, Mm. you're going to fail. What are you thinking? And especially in our case, um, I'm married to my lovely wife, Anne, for six years now, and uh, we have three kids. Uh, one is five, my daughter, Rianne, and then we have a son, Ryan, who's uh, one-year-old, uh, sorry, sorry, three-year-old, and then we have our, our, our other son, who's Renzo, who's one-year-old. So it's a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. And um, obviously, uh, as parents, our big concern is safety and security uh, for their health, for their well-being. Um, so we had all these um, uh, you know, fears about what will happen to them. 
But uh, what we ended up doing is, funnily enough, we actually listened, started listening to a whole bunch of podcasts uh, about families that became nomadic or traveled long term. And um, especially my wife, I, I think uh, mother's instinct is even to be more afraid uh, than the, the men are typically more adventurous. Sorry for a little bit of the gender stereotype. But uh, uh, definitely uh, my wife was more scared than me. I was, uh, And I had also done a lot of traveling before I got married. I'd been to about uh, almost 50 countries before we got married. Uh, so I was a backpacker, staying couch surfing, and I was very comfortable as a traveler. My wife, uh, she had immigrated from the Philippines to Canada, which is obviously a big leap of faith, uh, you know, uh, moving to a new country, immigrating, uh, settling down. So that was amazing. She did that. But she hadn't traveled in the sense of backpacking or traveling long term like me. Uh, so that was new to her. And uh, it was new to both of us to travel with our kids. So listening to these podcasts of people who are actually doing it and had done it was very reassuring because we would meet people in a similar situation to us. Uh, you know, uh, maybe they're married with a, uh, two kids, three kids, and even up to like uh, five, six kids. And they were able, able to travel with five or six kids. So uh, when we heard those kind of stories, uh, hey, if they can do it like four or five, six kids, we can do it with three. <laughs> and uh, why we decided to leave when we did is because uh, – uh, where we're from, Canada, they have an incredible thing called mm-hmm. mat leave. And it's one year paid yes. maternity leave. Um, and where else in the world do they have that? I think maybe in Scandinavia and a few places in Europe, but not many places have one year paid maternity leave. They might have, for example, um, a two weeks or a, no, no, two weeks, uh, two months or uh, six months, etc. But uh, this is one year paid. Uh, so we felt it was the opportune, opportune time for us to leave when we did because um, when else can you also get time and money freedom? Um, so my wife was continuing to get her salary for the entire year and uh, she had the time off. Um, for kid number one and two, she, she was uh, staying at home taking care of them. Uh, you know, especially with the first kid, it's very, very scary. Second kid, you feel much more comfortable. Third kid, you're like, oh, I can do this, uh, no problem. So we felt much more confident by kid number three, uh, Renzo. Uh, and uh, for me, I was entrepreneurial for the last uh, about five years. Around the time we got married, I was already an entrepreneur. So I was uh, on my own schedule. I wasn't working for a boss or company. So I had the freedom of um, working independently, self-employed. So I didn't really have to quit or anything like that. Um, And I do a lot of stuff online anyway, even before I left. Things like blogging, social media, internet marketing. So it was a fairly easy transition for me. Um, again, a little bit harder for my wife, but uh, she's adjusted. And you know what? The amazing thing, it was uh, actually the easiest for our kids. Our kids are very adaptable, very flexible, very malleable. And they, they can um, come to a new culture and learn it really quickly. They don't get frustrated like us adults about the language, mm-hmm. about cultural differences, about things not like being uh, like they were back home because they haven't even got accustomed to what is it like to be back home, right? So I found it, that was actually the, one of the biggest surprises that it was super easy for our kids and much more difficult for my wife and myself, Danielle. Wow. I mean, yeah, it's funny because you would think that it would be harder with kids, but it seems like from what you're saying, a lot of people you're, you've been listening to on the podcast or that you've gotten to know, they've been doing this with their families. And it makes me sort of realize that a lot of my friends who are either single or they're maybe in a relationship, then it makes it that much more easier then, wouldn't it? I mean, if, if a family can do it, uh, there's nothing, it shouldn't be as challenging as having a family to do this with. And uh, I know you mentioned a little bit uh, the other day about how 
traveling, you have some concerns as well because especially with children and then also, you know, some of the challenges could be like getting sick. Like what are the challenges that comes with being a digital nomad since uh, you you uh, have such a sporadic schedule, sporadic life even? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Danielle. There's so many challenges. Uh, you know, uh, on social media, you'll see the good stuff. Uh, you'll yeah. see us hanging around on the beach. You'll hang uh, see us uh, sightseeing with Christ the Redeemer or or Machu Picchu, or Iguazu Falls, <laughs> or the Great Wall of China, the pyramids, etc. You'll see all the good stuff. You don't see the fights between me and my wife. You don't see us getting angry at the hotels. You don't see our frustrations when people don't understand us, or we can't communicate with people in Brazil who just speak Portuguese and we speak English, or the rest of South America, which is Spanish-speaking, we're English-speaking. So there are a lot, a lot, a lot of challenges. And uh, it, it has to do with, I find, culture. Um, we get accustomed to our way of living as uh, humans. So I, I, my background is in psychology, by the way. So I'm always uh, uh, trying to understand how humans are similar and different across cultures. So uh, I find um, the familiarity gets taken away, and you're all already uh, you're always being thrown into the deep end, into the boiling pot, and you're always having to uh, be very flexible, adaptable, and creative and resourceful um, and that's difficult but it's actually very important uh, because you have difficulties on the road like for example today I'll give you the example of just today itself um, so when I looked it up online um, and a quick little backstory we're actually in Trinidad and Tobago for this interview uh, we were in Trinidad this morning we took a ferry and now we're in Tobago uh, when we were recording this uh, so when I looked online I, I looked at the schedule and it said there was a 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time ferry leaving from Trinidad to come to Tobago. Uh, so we looked online. We're like, okay, uh, we're going to catch at 12 o'clock. That gives us time to sleep in, get ready, and get to the ferry terminal. We get to the ferry terminal at around 11, 11.30, and they tell us, sorry, the vessel's not working. There's no ferry until 4 p.m. Eastern. So all of a sudden, we, are, we had all our bags with us. We had arrived, and the website was wrong. And I was like, why isn't the website updated? They're like, oh, we don't update it regularly. So, you know, in, in Canada, like, that wouldn't happen. Like, it would be, like, updated if there was, like, it would actually have announcement, you know, ferries no, not, not operational, et cetera. So here we are stuck in a ferry terminal for about uh, four hours. Uh, in the, and it was raining. Uh, it's actually raining season in the Caribbean. Uh, so it's actually raining. So luckily they had a cafeteria and they had free Wi-Fi there. So we were able to just hang around uh, the ferry terminal. So obviously that is frustrating, uh, those kind of experiences. And uh, you have to take it with a grain of salt that uh, it is not your country and they don't operate the way we do. So you just have to kind of um, uh, go with the flow, if you, if you will. Uh, there's so many instances and examples of that where uh, buses don't run on time. Sometimes you get to the bus and they don't even leave until they get full up, especially the minibuses. That's a frustrating thing because you can't really plan anything because you just get there and they're like, okay, I'm like, when is it leaving? They're like, well, um, until the last three seats get taken. When is that? Well, whenever someone shows up. So literally you can't plan any appointments after because the three spots might take five minutes. It might take an hour or two. So you just have to kind of roll with it and realize the world is different. And that's part of the joy of traveling to realize that. That uh, we're actually very blessed to live in, uh, you know, the Western world or uh, Canada, where everything is functioning according to schedules and uh, everything. Uh, it pretty much matches if it, if it's what it says on the internet will be like how it is in real life. <laughs> so uh, and like I mean, um, in Canada, 
there's so many examples I could go on and on. But in Canada, we're so used to using debit and credit. Uh, a lot of the countries we're visiting are cash-only societies. So in Trinidad, you need a wad of cash, and it's like you know one to seven ratio. So you you're walking around with a whole bunch of different uh, bills, and um, um, you know it, it's something that you're not used to. So you got to just realize you got to pay for cash everywhere for food, for taxis. Like they don't have Uber here, for example. So you got to have to pay for cash. They don't have a debit system. Even some of the hotels, you got to pay for cash. So. Um, you know, uh, something, again, you have to get used to because we're very much a car-driven society in the Western world, uh, you know, Canada, U.S., Europe, et cetera. And here, um, you know, in Central South America, it's much more cash-driven. So, uh, again, you just have to adapt to the culture that you're visiting. Oh, I see. So you have to be very flexible to adapt. And a lot of the things that seems like uh, there's just no plan and no agenda. Like You literally just go with the flow, right? Um, no, I think it's important to have a plan. Um, um, there's this whole concept of travel planning. Um, and when I travel, mm. started traveling in my 20s, I would actually be a little bit more um, uh, prepared and planned. So when I first did my trip, in um, right around out of university, I went to Europe. I did a working holiday in England, uh, taught in English in Japan, traveled around Europe and Asia. Uh, so when I did these trips, uh, I was much, 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 much more structured and planned. So I would do, um, uh, like, plan pretty much the route I was going to do from England to Scotland to Ireland to Wales to France, Spain, Italy, Greece. Like, I kind of knew the route, knew the cities I was going to go to. But I'd plan pretty much all the museums and stuff uh, because I had no idea what I was doing. So the first time um, uh, you do it, uh, you, I find you plan more. Second time, when I'd gone to Japan, traveled Asia, I felt much more confident. Third time, I actually studied at Hillsong Bible College in Sydney, Australia, traveled Australia. Zealand, Oceania area, again, much more confident. And now that we're doing this trip, um, I feel we have to do much less planning because you, um, it's kind of a muscle. I call it the travel muscle. The more you work it, the more comfortable you are with not having a plan. There's no, e there's no easy way and there's no right way of doing this. Uh, this is just what works for us. Some people are much, 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 much more planned. They want to have every day of their vacation planned out from beginning to end. And you've got to realize also we're traveling long term, so it's been like seven months continuous for us. So it's very different than a typical um, two-week vacation uh, to Mexico or Hawaii. If you're doing a two-week vacation, you probably want to just book the resort, um, you know, and, um, you know, you might want to stay in a couple of resorts, a couple of different places. But uh, on a two-week vacation, it's very different than a long-term uh, travel. So short-term versus long-term, two different strategies. I don't think I've ever been on a very long vacation trip before probably the longest would be maybe uh maybe about a month when i was in india and then uh yeah i don't think i've ever been anywhere longer than that and i find that it depends on how you like to travel like some people are very like you say like very scheduled and it's very detailed and I think it also depends on if you're going to a place where you know someone or if you're going to a place where you know nobody. <laughs> Would you say that also kind of determines how you travel you know, as well? One of the best ways to travel is to connect with locals. Uh, you can do that by doing some pre-networking. So, for example, when we got to Brazil, uh, we actually uh, posted on Facebook, hey, we're going to Brazil, we'll be there for about six weeks, we're looking to connect with people all over the country. Uh, do you know anyone? Tag them below. 
And literally within a, a day, I had about 20 different contacts. Uh, people saying, meet this person in Rio, meet this person in Sao Paulo, meet this person in Salvador, meet this person in Recife, meet this person down in Porto Alegre, et cetera. So, um, uh, and obviously I had my own contacts just uh, um, through, for example, studying overseas. Uh, in Hillsong, I knew some uh, Brazilian people there. So um, uh, having those kind of local contacts really helps because the locals know the insiders, uh, uh, kind of secret places that tourists don't know. You can obviously use things like a Lonely Planet, and the Lonely Planet will tell you the typical touristy things to do. Uh, all the museums, all the sightseeing attractions, where to stay, etc. But they might be a cool hole-in-the-wall shop or restaurant that nobody knows except the locals, and they all go there, and no, no tourists go there, and those are the best places. And those are some of our favorite memories is when we go where the locals go. So highly recommend that. There's also a few websites which I can recommend, Danielle. Uh, there's one called uh, meetup.com. So there's meetups around the world and uh, based on your hobby. So for example, if you're into hiking, uh, you can join local hiking groups. So if you're into yoga, you can join local yoga groups. So if you're into um, uh, maybe l language learning or cultural exchange, you can meet like language groups um, or expat groups um, or um, like uh, backpacker groups, etc. Um, on your phone app, you can actually just pull out your phone and then uh, you can actually just say, I'm ready to hang out. I'm here in, um, oh, uh, for example, um, let's just use Rio de Janeiro. I'm here in Rio de Janeiro and I want to hang out with some local Brazilians. And then uh, it will geotag you and then they will say, there are some local uh, Brazilians that they want to hang out with foreigners. And then you end up meeting people. And we've done it a few times. So there's that app, um, the Couchsurfing app. There's also... Um, uh, a great uh, community called Internations, um, like international, but Internations, I-N-T-E-R, Nations, Internations. Yeah, Internations, uh, it's a group for expats around the world. So li they're literally expats pretty much in all the major cities, and you can connect with them. So when we were in South Africa, we actually meet able to meet uh, expats who are living in Cape Town from around the world, from Europe, from Australia, from other parts of Africa, They'd come down to Cape Town, and uh, we're able to meet even some fellow Canadians there. So that was another cool group that we've been using. Uh, but I find uh, power of social media. Uh, if you're going to Europe, France, England, etc., just say, I'm going to England. Do you guys have any uh, local recommendations or do you know any local people? And then you'll crowdsource uh, people to meet, and you'll also crowdsource places to see uh, what to eat and things to do. And I think that's really wise of you to suggest that you know not just asking where we can go as um, tourists but also who is actually in this area that we can connect with do you have any sort of tips or advice for people who are who are going to embark on this digital nomad journey and what they can do and what are the steps um, so uh it's four steps to travel the world save sell salary sponsors and uh, in those order in that order uh so saving means uh, you got to actually prioritize and decide to travel. Uh, it's not just going to happen happenstantially. So you got to actually decide intentionally, proactively, that we want to travel. We want to make that part of our regular life. And uh, we're talking about being a digital nomad, not just uh, traveling on a road trip uh, around your province or state uh, or a little two-week vacation to uh, wherever you want to go. We're talking about more travel as a lifestyle, like uh, basically working and traveling, uh, being a digital nomad. So in terms of uh, how you can do that, uh, savings means like um, when you're in your hometown and when you're thinking about doing this, uh, start saving for that goal. So out of your uh, monthly salary, whatever you're making, try to allocate a certain amount to the travel budget. 
And it could be very little. It could be anywhere from like $20 a month to $50 to $100. And if you do that, at the end of the year, it's like just use a round number of 100. Uh, out of your year, you already have 1,200. And that's, you know, that can pretty much fly you anywhere in the world. Um, um, and then obviously, um, um, you know, save up more than that in terms of like the, uh, you, if you're working, then you might have a paid vacation, et cetera. But uh, so, so obviously saving in terms of saving a percentage of your salary, but also saving in the sense that um, um, cutting back. So saving on things like not drinking Starbucks all the time or Tim Hortons all the time, not eating out in these expensive restaurants, not buying the latest tech gadgets, um, you know, cutting down and like, like maybe getting a fancy new car or uh, even getting the new iPhone. You can stick with old iPhone. <laughs> five or six you don't need the seven or the eight or the ten or the hundred or whatever they'll just keep adding additions right so i have like a iphone 6 i'm cool with that i don't i mean of course i want the latest one because we all mm-hmm. when you see other people having it you want the i i apple watch etc but you gotta uh, withhold those cravings and the desire for more we live in a very more driven society more 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 will make you happier 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 but unfortunately it's almost the opposite the more you have, the less happy you get. And we live in a crazy, vicious cycle of materialism, mm-hmm. consumerism, where people think that things will make you happy. And mm-hmm. uh, I think North America is one of the least happiest places on the planet. I, I've, I've been around yeah. uh, you know, this planet um, <laughs> many times. I've been to 66 countries on six continents, pretty much every continent with the exception of Antarctica. So I've seen it firsthand. Uh, I, I don't know how happy the Antarcticans are uh, living in the cold <laughs> with the penguins, but uh, all these other continents, North yeah. America, South America, Asia, Africa, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, I've been there. So I've seen the levels of happiness are much, 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 much higher in non-Western countries. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> partly, I think it's because they don't have a lot of stuff and they don't mm. need a lot of stuff and they don't want stuff. They just want a happy family they want their kids to have a good future, and they focus on the family dynamics. And that's what you need. At the end of the day, if you have a strong family, a strong kids, a strong, uh, you know, healthy dynamic communication, that will make you happier. It's not going to be a house full of uh, empty things. Um, so in terms of uh, going back to my point about saving, so withhold the temptation to buy more. So that, that's the first step to travel the world, save. Uh, the second step is to sell. You got to make uh, the decision on your own about what to sell. Uh, we made the decision to first we're going to rent our place because we thought maybe we'll come back. But a part of uh, me um, and my wife was leaning more to coming back. I was leaning more towards relocating and living nomadically for at least one or two years, and then seeing where we liked. And then if we liked a place, we'll settle down there. For maybe a year or two and then, then once we got bored of that place moved to the next place so that's kind of what i was aiming for my wife was like what if we don't like it then uh if we sell a place we have nothing to come back to i was like that's the point uh you know like uh, i don't want to have something to come back to or be forced to come back to right so we kind of had a little bit of a squabble and you know that's part of the journey as a husband and wife if you're traveling as a couple um to make those decisions for the uh, uh the sake of both partners because sometimes your wife will want something your uh, the husband wants something the kids will want something else so you got to figure out what works for all of you um so uh and then we decided not to rent out a place we did some testing we rented out an airbnb we did a few little getaways and we just found uh it was going to be hard to manage it remotely um uh, short-term rental and long-term rental um so therefore we just said let's sell it we can always buy a place in the future we actually ended up 
selling it and then investing some of the money from the sale in a property in the Philippines. So now we want an apartment in the Philippines, uh, which is making us some rental income. Uh, but we did, we decided to sell the place uh, to cut uh, the ties to Vancouver. Uh, so now we don't have a reason to come back. Um, we sold most of our stuff, honestly. Uh, we had like a TV, a couch, a dining table, uh, all the utensils, most of my books. They're all gone. And um, it was so liberating uh, because you get attached. You're, you're like, I have this huge library of books. I have these all these things and the TV, the couch. Oh, you know, this is the bed, uh, you know, we uh, we create a turin in. Or this is where, where kids grew up and all that. But you know what? It, it's so liberating to get rid of the stuff. It was one of the best decisions of our life to get rid of our things. Um, freeing mentally, um, you know, just decluttering it, getting rid of it. It was difficult, uh, you know, I'm not going to kid you. But uh, at the end of the day, we actually kept about five boxes of stuff. And that was like a wedding album, uh, a kids' uh, souvenirs and mementos from the hospitals when they're growing up. Uh, you know, some little mementos. That's all that's important. Um, uh, and again, this was our decision. Not everyone does it this way. Some people just rent out their place for a year, and then they come back and live in their place again. Uh, but if you consciously choose to live nomadically, then you want to actually... Um, try to cut ties with things, uh, not with people. Obviously, you want to keep ties with people through social media, um, uh, Skype, that kind of stuff. So cut ties with uh, things. That's my biggest uh, biggest tip for people uh, listening. So you save, then you sell. And then third is you got to build up a salary. Uh, it is expensive to travel, uh, to, buy, uh, to uh, buy plane tickets, to fly around the world, uh, to stay in hotels. Uh, to eat out, um, to sightsee. It is expensive. Uh, and, you know, some people say it's cheap, et cetera. It depends where you're traveling to. Um, in Asia, obviously, Southeast Asia, Thailand, Laos, Vietnam, Cambodia, Indonesia, much, much, much cheaper. Um, you know, um, obviously, Europe is one of the most expensive places in, in the world. Uh, North America, very expensive. Australia is pretty expensive. Uh, New Zealand as well. Uh, South America... It's hit or miss. Brazil is very pricey. The rest of South America is much cheaper, but not as cheap as Southeast Asia. Africa can be pretty cheap as well. Like we were in South Africa. We found our a Canadian dollar, U.S. dollar goes a long way in South Africa. Um, and most other parts of Africa are fairly cheap compared to the West as well. So it depends where you're traveling. So if you're traveling to Asia, South America, Africa, typically a little bit cheaper. If you're traveling to North America, Europe, Australia, Oceania, much more expensive. Um, so you got to figure out a salary, uh, and I teach this, by the way, in private coaching, and I have online courses on all about how to be a digital nomad, uh, like 20 to 30 digital nomad jobs you can do, but I'll give you a quick overview of some of the jobs you could do. Things like private coaching, one-on-one -on -one coaching, things like running a mastermind or small group training, things like uh, launching your own online courses, uh, membership sites, uh, e-commerce stores, that's another good one as well, uh, affiliate marketing. Uh, being a social media manager, uh, you know, running social media campaigns, Facebook ads, running accounts like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, also, affiliate marketing, which means uh, having links uh, uh, from websites to other, other websites. And then if people make purchases, you get a, a commission. Um, also, things like doing website design, graphic design, being a programmer, um, even doing things like ESL teaching online. Uh, and I, I've actually done over... Uh, 70 different uh, interviews with digital nomads from around the world and there's literally um, you know uh, dozens of jobs that people's uh, people can either uh, work remotely for a company or you can obviously uh, run it as your own business independently so um, 
it depends again what you're doing. Like my wife's in IT, um, so in IT um, you can actually work remotely a lot of the times. And I'm um, doing more things like um, I do private coaching, I do um, masterminds, and I do a lot of online courses on Udemy. And uh, Udemy is a great platform to make passive residual income. Uh, so we actually um, we put our courses on Udemy, and uh, we do the work once. And then uh, every time someone buys, you get a passive income. And uh, we, I actually log into my back end almost every day. And literally, there are people buying every single day. And I'm getting a nice side income there. And um, I've built it up over the last um, uh, 10 years, since 2008. And it brings me about 60 to 70 US a month passively. And the goal is to make as much passive income as possible. Uh, so currently, most of our income is active. Uh, so we've got to hustle and work and get clients to get the income. But at the same time, while I'm building my uh, active income streams, I'm also very active and intentional about building up the passive income streams. I think anyone can travel around the world and make some money. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just about the priorities, right? Like you were talking about earlier. Yeah, and since you have kids and then they're you know, traveling with you, I remember I was asking you about, you know, how do they go to school? And then you say that, you said you were saying about uh, you basically teach them yourself and then they also the part that I thought was really interesting and I really liked was you were able to take them to different places so they can learn like museums or um, even to orphanages where they get a very hands-on learning not just academic learning but really learning how to be in community with people and how to treat people with kindness and all that so where do you see you and your family going towards in that direction? And I know you're very passionate about community. Yeah, I'm also very passionate about education. I mean, uh, I was a teacher, um, uh, both in Vancouver and in Japan. I taught ESL. Uh, I also have been teaching social media uh, at my conferences. So I run uh, in Vancouver, I used to run uh, conferences about social media, blogging, internet marketing. So education is a very big passion of mine. Uh, so in terms of uh, our schooling for our kids, uh, we believe this, the, the, the world is the best teacher. Uh, so uh, there's a whole bunch of different educational models. Um, so there's obviously traditional schooling, which is textbook education. Uh, there's a teacher uh, you know, teaching you from the front, and the students are learning from a classroom-type set setting. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, I did, a, I did a, um, you know, elementary, high school. I did my university. I did a, um, a, a diploma at uh, Hillsong Leadership College. So I've done, I think... Um, Seven years of post-secondary education. So I'm a big advocate of that traditional education. Uh, nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with it. Um, there's some people who are very against that traditional education. I just want to qualify that. I don't think I'm that extreme. I think that traditional education is very important. Uh, but I feel there's this uh, other type of education, which is called more, uh, there's a few terms for it. There's, it's called unschooling, world schooling, homeschooling, uh, road schooling, or self-directed learning. And I, I lean towards more the self-directed learning, which means kids are gonna learn no matter what because they're very um, inquisitive and they're very curious to learn about their surroundings. So they're literally learning every single moment of every single day, of every single week, of every single month, of every single year, they're learning. Uh, so you just have to be conscious of that as a parent that what are they learning because they can learn if you're if you're smoking around them they're going to learn that smoking or uh, if you're watching tv all the time or if you're glued to your devices they're going to learn that right so if they uh, if you're fighting all the time with your spouse they're going to learn that 
So they learn more by modeling than what you tell them. If you say it's not good to watch your uh, watch TV too much, but if you're all the time glued to your phone, um, uh, as as you know, I do as I, I do, not as I say. They say right. So and again, guilty as charged. You know, I'm glued to this device too much. And, um, you know, I need to work on that. And I think most parents uh, struggle with that. Uh, so I guess the the point here is that they're always going to learn. So you have to just be um, conscious of what are they really attracted to learning about. Uh, so my daughter is very interested in like um, uh, nature and animals and the rainforest. So. Uh, we took her to the Amazon River, and we we're teaching her about the um, ecosystems there, about the animal life, the wildlife. Not from books. She's going to learn this from books as well. What is the rainforest? How does it work? What are the major rivers and ecosystems in the world? Um, she's going to learn all these things in school, too. But what better way is it than actually going to the Amazon River and seeing uh, the Amazon going in a canoe, uh, swimming with the, the pink dolphins there? Uh, like... It's irreplaceable, the type of education they learn by being there. And I want to also ask you, you know, if people want to get in touch with you and learn more about being a digital nomad, um, because you do have some sort of a course coming up, right? A summit. Uh, where is the best place for them to get a hold of you other than daddyblogger.com? My business brand uh, is uh, Digital Nomad Mastery. And on there, I teach people how to be digital nomads uh, through private coaching 101 through small group training, through masterminds. Uh, I have uh, recorded over 70 different podcast interviews. Soon it will be over 100. By the time you listen to this, it might be over 100 different podcast interviews. Uh, we also have a summit coming up this fall. And that's my big passion because I've seen the impact travel has made in my life, in my wife's life, in their kids' life, in lots of other, uh, literally hundreds of other people's lives, thousands. Um, and... Uh, I believe that travel is very accessible in this day and age um, to everyone. And I really encourage you guys to travel. Even if it's in your home city, be a, be a, uh, do staycations, be a tourist in your own city. Even if it's in your state or province, you don't have to cross oceans. You don't have to hop on planes. You can be a traveler. Uh, you know, uh, you can be nomadic in your own place of uh, residence, too. You can travel around there. Um, so you can find me at digitalnomadmastery.com and daddyblog.com. I'm very willing and eager to help out, support, and help your travel dreams come true. If you ever dreamed of traveling the world, don't leave it as a dream. Make it a reality. If I can do it, so can you. And I really believe this, this maxim. If one person can do it, so can anybody. And there's literally thousands of people before me who have done it. Thousands will do it after me, and I'm just one of those people who are doing it and you can do it too listening uh, whoever's listening you can do it too i just want you to believe in yourself that you can it all starts in the mind and if you believe in it it will happen so belief is so paramount and staying positive and uh, you know there's a lot i could say just on the mindset of traveling but uh definitely highly recommend deciding and then uh, you'll be surprised how logistically things will happen once you make that key decision that you're going to be a digital nomad, that you're going to travel the world. It is about making the decision. And thank you for the helpful resources of digitalnomadmastery.com. So I do encourage all our listeners to really uh, go onto the website, check it out, and check out uh, Rick's YouTube channel as well, where there's tons more interviews of other people who are experiencing this digital nomad life. And just so you guys can get a better idea of what it involves, because sometimes it's so easy to just dismiss our dreams when we think it's so hard in our heads. 
versus asking people for help or even just you know seeing who else out there is living the lifestyle that you want to live so thank you rick so much for all your wisdom and tips advice and your available resources and just for sharing with us your stories and your experience thank you for our lovely listeners as well